What a beautiful song. Well, thank you for allowing Gene and I to have last Sabbath off. Uh, we went over to Palm Springs. The pastor in the Palm Springs Church and I uh, went to college together. So it was kind of fun to sit in the congregation and hear someone else preach for a change. Now I see why you sit down there, Paul, why you retired. It was kind of fun. And we had a good potluck afterwards and got acquainted with, with three ladies that sat at our table. And uh, we just had a wonderful time together with them. And then we took the afternoon and just went out into God's nature and just kind of commune with God out in nature. And it was just a beautiful, relaxing day. So I tell you, thank you for allowing us to do that. We're going to take a look at what I call the greatest deception uh, that's going to take place. And uh, it might surprise you a little bit, but let's ask the Lord to, to be with me and to give me the words. Father, I, I'm of unclean lips. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to enter into my heart right now. Speak through my vocal cords the words from heaven as we begin to prepare ourselves for the soon coming of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Deception. We think of deception, we often think of the devil. Very deceiving person that is out to try to destroy us. But he works through many avenues. You probably recognize this guy's picture. If you don't recognize it there, you probably recognize it like that. Okay, Bernie Madoff. He lived up to his name. He made off with a lot of money. A lot of people who invested money into his program. He's a very intelligent man. Uh, he was a past president of the uh, Stock Exchange Commission, so he, he knows stocks. He knows all about them, what to do, and everything else. Uh, he's in jail right now, waiting for his sentencing. Probably will be in prison for the rest of his life. Um, look what the New York Times said about him. Mr. Madoff's operations were fraudulent for more than two decades. And in some cases, he had promised certain clients' annual returns up to at least... 46%. That's pretty good interest rate, isn't it? Give him so many thousands of dollars. In many cases, people were giving him millions of dollars to invest. He was taking that money. He knew what he was doing was wrong. He was taking that money. He's actually sending some of it overseas and then having them return it back to make it look like this was the interest that was coming back when in reality there wasn't any interest at all that was going into his pocket. But he was promising them 
high rates of at least, that means it could go higher than 46%. Wouldn't you invest your money in a bank if they said that they would do that? Oh, I hear some say sure, and I hear some say no. It's amazing how gullible we are when it comes to money. We're willing to do anything to get rich fast, as long as we don't have to work for it. So a lot of people have shared in something like this, and uh, now they're broke. And no wonder they're crying that they've been deceived, because they have been. Is it possible for Christians to be deceived? Ah, some people think, oh no, that would never happen. But some of you will remember in the early 1980s when many Seventh-day Adventist individuals, Adventist conferences, hospitals, and unions lost money in Davenport Investments. It was promised, they were promised returns up to 30% on their investments. I know that the conference that I worked for at that time lost well over a million dollars in the conference fund that um, was invested by the conference in Davenport Industries. How many of you remember that? Now, I was, we were very fortunate in this particular conference that um, one of the men who was accused of, of uh, putting that money in and should have known better, um, he actually... He uh, quit the treasury, and he actually went back and repaid every bit of the million dollars back that they lost. One of the few. Uh, But it goes to show that Christians, even Seventh-day Adventists, can be deceived. Let's take a look at the definition of deception. There's a couple of them. First one is deception is a declaration or practice which misleads another person or causes him to believe what is false. Thinking that it's true and then believing that it's false. The next one is the leading of another to believe what is false or not to believe what is true and thus ensnares them into making the wrong choice. That's what the devil would like to have you do. He'd love to make you believe in what is false or to no longer believe in what is true so that you make the wrong choice and you're lost with him. Isn't that what happened when he came to Eve? And he asked her, well, did God really say that you couldn't eat of all the fruit? And she repeated back what God said. And then the devil himself says, he says, you shall not surely die. 
But you will become like God, knowing good and evil. You won't die, and you'll be just like God. And she was deceived into thinking that was the best route to go, even though God had told her not to do it. And the devil is going to try to do that with us. Is try to get us to make wrong choices and thinking that we are getting closer to God. Don't think it won't happen. There are three types of deception. First is the intentional deception. Bernie Madoff, even though he said that he knew it was wrong when he was doing it at first, he just thought that he'd change his ways and pay it all back, but he didn't. But he knew that it was wrong. That's intentional. He knew what he was doing, and he was out to deceive others. There's the unintentional deception. I'm doing something that I think that is right, but it's not right at all. For example, you've had certain Christian men or Christian women come knocking on your door and they want to share their beliefs with you. But when you begin to look at their beliefs, and they're sincere, when you begin to look at their beliefs, you scratch your head and say, wait a minute. That's not according to the Bible. That's unintentional. They believe that they're doing right when in reality they're not doing right but wrong. So that's unintentional. They're sincere. I think that's why when Jesus was on the cross and he was hanging up there, he cried out this prayer, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It was unintentional. They thought they were doing right by crucifying Jesus. And he asked them, he asked for forgiveness from his heavenly Father. But the deception, I said there's three, intentional, unintentional, but the one that I want to focus on this morning is the most deadly deception of them all, and that's self-deception. Self-deception. Self-deception is when we are sure of ourselves, that we, so sure of ourselves that we could never ever be deceived and fall into the hands of the devil himself. That I know the Bible so well that I will never be deceived. That I don't need to do any more or add anything. Or because I am a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, I could never be deceived. You're falling into the hands of self-deception and the devil. That's why Jesus gave warning to his very own disciples. You see, Jesus had been sharing with his disciples 
about not only how he was to go and to die on the cross, but he also was sharing with them the destruction of Jerusalem. That was going to happen in 70 A.D., and then also sharing with them the second coming of Christ. And so the disciples came to them and said, You know, Lord, give us some signs so that we know when all this is going to happen. Let us know what's going to take place so that we can be prepared. And the very first thing that came out of the mouth of Jesus is, Take heed that no one deceives you. Who's he talking to? His disciples, the ones who walked with him, who talked with him, who asked questions, who learned from him, who, who, who uh, uh, got this, this direct message from heaven. You would have thought of any of them that he would never tell his own disciples, be careful because you might be deceived. They would be like Peter and say, not me, Lord. Everybody else, but not me. Look what he says in the next verse. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Here's two verses. Verses 4 and verses 5. The first things that comes out of his mouth to his disciples. They want to know the signs of you coming. And he says, deception, deception. I am talking to you. I'm not talking to anyone else. You're my disciples. Be very careful. Because Jesus knew that one of the things that's going to happen is that Satan is going to try to deceive his very own disciples. He's not only going to come, the Bible says he can come as an angel of light. To be able to come, the word angel means messenger. He can come as a messenger with a message that, that uh, he says is from God, when in reality that message is not from God, it's from the devil himself. He's going to work through others. They're going to, it may even be unintentional to them, but they're going to sit there and they're going to think that this is biblical, this is what God wants, we're all going to heaven, we're all worshiping the same God, doesn't make any difference what you do or how you do it, as long as we're all going to the same place, it's okay. That sounds great, but it's not biblical. Jesus continuing in context, Matthew 24, 11, Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. A prophet, again, is a messenger, false teacher. Many false teachers are going to come up. They, it may be intentional to lead intentionally and lead others to stray. It may be unintentional. It doesn't make any difference. But the result is, is to deceive many. Same context, Matthew 24, 24, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders, so as to deceive, if possible, even the very elect. We've looked at that before. And I know people are thinking, why are you pounding this into me, Pastor? Is because this is so great that Jesus said four times in the same context, deception, 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 deception. And if he wasn't saying it so many times, then it's, he's trying to, to get us to realize this is so strong and so real 
that it's going to happen to you, my very elect. Don't ever get into a point that you're so self-deceived to think that it will never, ever happen to you. Four times he warns us about deception. Revelation reveals to us that deception will reach epidemic proportions in the last days. Revelation 13, 14, And he, that's the Antichrist beast, deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do. How does he deceive them? By the signs. Remember, the devil's going to deceive us by signs, wonders, and miracles. It almost looks like they're following prophecy. It almost looks like it's being revealed. It almost looks like it's coming true. Remember, the devil is going to try to, to, uh, to counterfeit even the second coming of Jesus. It's going to be a great sign. Here he is. Revelation 19.20, Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs. There it is again. In his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast. You might say, well, I haven't received the mark of the beast. The deception is going to come before the mark of the beast comes. Then you're going to be fooled into thinking that you're doing the right thing. Revelation 20 verse 10. And the devil who deceived them, was cast in the lake of fire. Who's behind all this deception? It's the devil himself. Where does he work the hardest? In the church. It's not the football stadium that he works the hardest in. He's working the hardest within the church itself. Even harder in the church that follows closely the teachings of Jesus Christ. You might be saying, I've been a Christian all my life. It will never, ever happen to me. You just set yourself up for deception. If you're thinking that, you better look out because it will happen to you. This is self-deception. It'll happen. It's the attitude what, that is what the devil is looking for. It'll never happen to me because he knows that he has an open door when I've got that attitude for him to deceive me. Here's where he makes his attack. Jeremiah 17 verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? How many of you here this morning have a heart? You better hope you've got one. See, we're born with a heart. From the day we were born, our heart is deceitful. Our heart will do 
strange things. It's imbreded within us. And the devil knows that. He knows that our heart is deceitful. The heart, we long for the things that, that flatters the sinful nature. Do you know what I'm saying? I love to be flattered of the things within my life by others. I love material things. I love money. I love power. There's this excitement that comes with inside of me to come to the, to the edge of seeing how far over the edge of being a Christian that I can get over into the sinful life without falling over and being all part of the devil. There's, there's something about the excitement that takes place when someone starts flirting with me. There's something in the excitement that takes place when there's a marital affair. Do you know, I've talked to people who have had marital affairs, and they said it was so exciting. And then I lost my husband, and then I lost my wife, and then I married the person that I had the affair with. And you know what? I discovered that he or she was a creep. But it was that excitement that was in my deceitful heart that kept me in that affair and kept me going. How long can I keep it a secret and have all that fun before I get caught? That's the deceitful heart. And we all do that in many different ways, in many different ideas. Oh, how I am flattered when someone compliments me on how I look. I am flattered. Do you know that the wearing of jewelry is to call attention to the jewelry or to self? To self. That's the only reason. I like the flattery of someone saying, boy, that's a nice looking necklace you're wearing. That's great 14 earrings you have in one ear. I love the look of that diamond in your nose. And oh, look at the ruby in your belly button. It's to call attention to self. And the devil knows that. Oh, the excitement to eat things that I know is bad for me. Ooh, I've gone to meddling, haven't I? The looks and the comments of others, the listening to the beat of the music is, is satisfying. The longing in my heart to move in a seducing, exciting manner to the beat of that music. We as Christians justify it by saying the words are about Jesus, but in reality we're longing for the sensual rhythm that we discover within the music. Why no? Because it's in me as well too. 
to turn on the radios to the golden oldies. It brings back the memories of my sinful youth. The beat is still there. I know the exact words that it comes out of my mouth faster than the words of Scripture that I'm trying to memorize. I know what I'm talking about. It's part of the deceitful heart. We, we long for miracle proof that God has accepted me. Do something, Lord, so that I know that I'm following you. The devil loves that one. Because remember, he's going to do great signs and wonders, if at all possible, to fool the very elect. We desire to be popular among our friends and among the people at work. So we don't want to be different in their eyesight. So we're one way in the church and we're another way at work. I know, I talk to your kids. You're one way at church, but you're sure another way at home. And then you wonder why they grow up and they say, my parents are hypocrites. But they go up and they say, but elder so-and-so in the church is a hypocrite. I saw him cursing downtown. We live one way. We, we think that it's exciting. We 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 are chameleons that change when we come around certain people. We desire peace of mind from our problems, so we seek things to, to give us that peace of mind. If only I can buy that new iPod. I gotta keep it up. Can't say a new stereo anymore. That's that's outdated. It's gotta be the iPod now. That'll make me happy. But when you get it, they come out with a newer one. Kick that thing aside and get me another one. We desire to have more than what our parents ever had in their lives. And in that same selfish desire is to allow our children to have more than what we had when we were growing up at their age. That all comes from your deceitful heart. I want more, I want more, I want more. Hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. So step up to the edge. I'll keep my heels in Christianity, but my toes are in the world. Oh, that feels so good. Let's see if I can get part of my heel over into the world. Oh, that's even better. Let's see if I... Oops! I slipped. It can happen so fast. Don't ever say... It'll never happen to me. Because you're setting yourself up. Is it possible to deceive yourself? 
Take a look what it says in the Bible, Galatians 6, verse 3. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. If you think that you are the best Christian, when in reality the Bible says you have a deceitful heart, but you think that you don't need to change because you're so good of a Christian, you have just deceived yourself. Do you want to be deceived? But it's so easy and it's so dangerous. This self-deception self is, is just horrendous. Look at 1 Corinthians 3 verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. See, this is where deception starts first. Barney Madoff thought that he could deceive others, but in his reality, he was deceiving himself. It starts in his own heart. I want more, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to get it any way that I can. But let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Why does he say that? If I think I am so smart... If I think that I know the Bible more than anyone else in the world, anyone else in my family, that I don't need any more wisdom, you are fast mistaken. You are better off to be foolish and saying, you know, I don't know a thing. I am such a fool, I don't know what I need, but I'm willing to study. And when I study, then I become wise. When I think that I know all I need to know, I've just deceived myself. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Notice these very carefully. Notice the context. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, what is he talking about? The second coming. Okay. The context, second company. And our gathering together to him. That's when we're going to be caught up. That's what we all desire, isn't it? To be caught up and to meet the Lord in the air. We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind and trouble. When would I be shaken in my mind and trouble? Because either by the Spirit or by the Word or by the letter, something's going to happen that's going to shake us up. And we're going to think that it's coming from, here it is, Paul. We're going to think that it's going to come from the Bible. We're thinking... Oh man, something's happened here. Thinking as though the day of Christ had come. We're going to be fooled in thinking, here is the second coming of Christ that I have been waiting for and longing for all the time. And we're going to hear something. It's going to kind of bother us at first, but we're going to hear as if it is coming directly from the Bible writers. The devil's going to to use Scripture to be so close in this deception that we're going to think that it's coming directly from the Bible. But if I don't think that I have a need to study the Bible anymore, I'm going to be deceived and I'm going to be shaken up because I'm going to say, well, here's the Lord. Let's continue on. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come... That's this deception will not come, or the second coming, unless the falling away comes first. There's going to be a falling away. People are going to be deceived. This is this deceptive time. 
And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is the deception of the devil, the coming and saying, I am God, I am Christ, I am here, this is the second coming. But this is going to happen, he says. It's a reality. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? He's bringing back to remember. Do you remember the words, I told you this was going to happen? Jesus is going to come and we're going to be deceived and we're not careful. And he's going to say, didn't you study the Scriptures? I told you just exactly what's going to take place. But you didn't want to study it. You didn't want to learn. You didn't want to find out anymore. You thought you already knew enough and you were deceived. But he says, when I still with you, I told you these things. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. The devil was already at work deceiving back in Paul's days, and he's doing it even more because the closer we get to the second coming of Jesus the more he pours on the deception. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of who? Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders. Brothers and sisters, he's going to come with such a deception, with such great power, with such great contorting of the Scriptures, with such great miracles and lying wonders and miraculous things that you're going to sit there and say, this has got to be Jesus. But look what else Paul continues on. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because here's why. They did not receive the love of what? The truth that they might be saved. They did not receive the love of the truth. The, the reality is this. They quit studying the Bible. I think I know enough. I don't need to learn anymore. I don't need to come to Sabbath school, it's too early in the morning. I might miss out on my beauty nap. It's boring. Brothers and sisters, it's a time to study God's Word so it won't be deceived. In our children's Sabbath school classes, we are preparing these children for the second coming of Jesus. We cannot teach them from, excuse me, I know of someone who teaches in a different church. They teach the Sabbath school from the Sunday comic strips from the week before. Is that thus saith the Lord? I think I would be appalled if I heard that they're teaching our children from comic strips and trying to use that as the gospel. Brothers and sisters, we ought to even be looking at our own academies. Are they following the truth that is preached in God's Word or are they becoming just exactly like 
the rest of the public schools. I mean, it's got to be in all aspects of life. That's the training of our children. That's the missionary product of our children is in our schools. We need to be training our children in our homes. We need to be training our children in the Sabbath schools. We need to be training adults in our Sabbath school in here, not just the church service. We need to be ready. But he's saying, here's the reality. The reason why they will be deceived is because they have self-deception in not realizing that they need to receive the love of the truth. They need to begin to look at God's Word. Is it possible for you to be deceived? You better believe it. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. There's the truth. We need to be teaching our kids. We need to be teaching ourselves. We need to be saturating ourselves in truth. Nothing else. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, Receive the word of God which effectively works in you. You want power in your life? It's the Word of God that changes an individual. You need that. It works in you. 2 Timothy 2.15 We are to be a worker for God, not to be ashamed, but rightly dividing or studying the truth. We need to study God's Bible. First Timothy 3.15 The church is the pillar of and ground of the truth. Truth must start here. But pastor, it's not exciting enough. I want my Sabbath school to be exciting. Tell you what, God's word is powerful. It is not exciting. It is power. It is not an, a, an emotional excitement. It's something that changes individuals. When truth is preached in a Sabbath school, that your Sabbath school will be changed. When truth is preached at home, your home will be changed. There's power that is there. Jesus went into the temple. As he was in, went into the temple, there they were, selling all their doves and lambs and bullocks. And why it looked like it looked like farmers market downtown on Thursday night. People were rallying through there talking and having fun and all these animals were making noises and everything else. And Jesus came in and he ran them all off. He got them out of the church. There wasn't a, this didn't come from the Bible. And notice what he said that first time. He said, do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Don't make it like the rest of the world. This is my Father's house. Brothers and sisters, this church is the Heavenly Father's church. It's not like the rest of the world. Don't expect it to be like the rest of the world. Don't even talk like it's the rest of the world. This is God's church. But a little bit later on, Jesus left. He cleaned the whole place out. Sometimes we need to clean a church out. Sometimes truth is not present in a church. Instead of standing back and saying, well, they need to have their religious freedom. Let me tell you what, if truth is not being spoken in the church, you need to get rid of that. Okay, so Jesus left. And then he comes back another time. 
And when he comes back another time, guess what? They never heeded to his words. They started selling all his stuff again. It was just like what it was, if not worse. And so he comes into the church, and you know what he says this time? Last time he says, this is my father's house. You know what he says this time? Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Why is it their house now? Because the presence of God is not there because they didn't heed to the words of Jesus Christ. They didn't heed to truth. And when truth is no longer preached in our churches, when truth is no longer preached in our Sabbath schools, when truth is no longer preached in our, in our academies, then it is no longer God's church, God's Sabbath school, or God's school. It is your school, your church, your house, your place, because God's not here. And if God's not here, the life is gone. It's all because of self-deception, because we want, to, we want to see how far we can cross over the line. Man, if we can worship like the rest of the world, can you imagine how many people we're going to get in? Let me go a little bit farther. Whoops. God's Word is powerful. If it can take a drunk, change him into a pastor, God's Word is powerful. Hebrews 4.12 For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God knows your deceitful heart, doesn't he? But when you put God's word into your life, it's like a sword that comes in and cuts out your deceitful heart and you get a transplant, heart transplant. It begins to put into your heart the heart of Jesus. Because Jesus is truth. James 1, verse 22. I like this one. It says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. When I am only a hearer of the word, I'm falling into the trap of self-deception. Some of you may have been here this morning at Sabbath school. If you wasn't, shame on you. Arlen was sitting there and I heard him saying, we're expecting the preacher to go out and do all the work. It's not going to work. We've got to be all doers of the word. See, there's two steps in being a doers of the world, two ways of being a doer. Actively studying God's word, Sabbath school, home, and then sharing God's word with others. If I share God's word but I'm not studying, there's no power. In fact, I'm probably deceiving the other person. If I study God's Word, but I don't go out and share it with someone else, there's no power in sharing the everlasting gospel because Jesus is only going to come when the everlasting gospel is shared to the whole world. So I've got to do both parts. 
Otherwise, I'm falling into self-deception, thinking, I don't have to do it, the pastor's going to do it. I don't have to do it, the elders are going to do it. I don't have to do anything. I just got to sit back here and smile and just put my money in the offering plate when it comes around. And I am okay. I'm sliding into the door of heaven. You're sliding into a door. But it's not in heaven. You're going down into the furnace. Can I get any plainer than that? Because the power is in God's Word to change my life, to transplant my deceitful heart, and then to be able to be used to to help someone else with their deceitful heart. And that other person might be my child. It might be my relatives. It might be my friends. Gallup poll was taken, and they just asked one question. How many Bibles do you have in your house? Ninety percent of the people said that they had at least one Bible in their house. That's pretty good in the United States. Ninety percent of the houses in the United States have at least one Bible. They asked the second question. Do you read the Bible in your house? Almost 80% said no. Whoa. What's it doing in the house? Collecting dust, probably. Old Charles Spurgeon was quite a preacher back in his day, back in England, in the late 1800s. Spurgeon has the reputation of, of sharing one-sentence sermons. Wouldn't you like to have that? You'd get to potluck earlier if I was to give you just one sentence. No potluck today, so you don't have any place to go. Spurgeon stood up in front of his church in London. Thousands of people would come to listen to him. Thousands of people sitting in his congregation. And he shared with them this sentence. There is dust enough on your Bibles to write damnation with your fingers. Whoa. Now that was a two-edged sword that stuck the hearts of a lot of people. I want to ask you this morning, can you write damnation on your Bible with your finger? I don't know if you can see that or not. There's dust on that Bible and it says, read me. I think that's what your Bible is crying out. Because if you're not willing to get into the power that is there to defeat the devil, you're just deceiving yourself into thinking that you're going to make it into the heavenly kingdom. It is the message of God. It is the power of God. It is the revelation of God that brings to us life, not only different life in this world today, but brings to us eternal life in the soon coming of Jesus. It's going to help prepare us for the deception that is going to shake a lot of people's faith and a lot of people's beliefs, even within our own church. I remember that Ellen White, we sometimes quote Ellen White saying, you know, some of the brightest lights will go out. And we think, yeah, you know, general conference presidents, they're no longer going to be 
the great light. Some of these pastors are no longer going to be the great light. I sat down last night and I looked up all these things, and it is true. She was talking about some of our great preachers are going to no longer be able to, to preach God's word. They're going to be left out. And, uh, but I looked and I began to look at the context because she says the same sentence throughout many times. You know who she was really talking to? Church members. Many church members' light will go out and will be deceived. And in one place she says, one in twenty will be saved. What about the rest? Self-deception. Now you see why I preach this? I could be very popular and not preach anything like this at all. I could preach to you the gospel of comic strips. There are some churches that actually takes the old Andy Griffith Mayberry television shows and they use that as their sermon to teach the truth in God. Sure quiet in here, isn't it, Paul? I hope, I pray that I'm stepping on toes this morning. Because Jesus is going to come soon. And I've got to be ready right now as if this was the day that he's going to come back. But if you want to live in self-deception, as for me and my house, we're going to follow God. What do you think? Let's take our hymnals and let's turn to hymn number... 600, hold fast till I come. Hymn number 600. is given to all who believe. Behold, I come quickly, mine own to receive. Hold fast till I come, the danger is great. Sleep not as do others, be watchful and wait. Hold fast till I come, Sweet promise of heaven, the kingdom restored to you shall be given. Come enter my joy, sit down on my throne, bright crowns are in waiting, hold fast till I come. We'll watch unto prayer. With lamps burning bright, he comes to all of us.
deceitful. Sin has a sway on all of us. Help us to get back into the study of your word and to be a doer, to share your word as you give to us a heart transplant through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.